Hey guys, what's up? It is week 138. Got a bunch of reviews for you. 14. Almost all of them are 2019 qualifying movies. So um, if you guys are catching this, this will be after the um, uh, 22 Shots and Moods and Whore Top 10 drops. So you'll hear me on that give my top 10. Don't worry, I'm going to do a top 50 all-inclusive movies, not just horror exploitation on my own channel down the line, but I want that to drop first for the 22 shots. So I want them to have the, you know, that one to show to come first. So I'm going to hop into the reviews because I got a bunch, like I said. The first is Gags the Clown from Doppelganger Entertainment. They do a slew of stuff, some older, some newer. I know that they put out the Wes Craven um, movie, uh, Summer of Fear, and then they put out stuff like 100 Bloody Acres, which is a fun horror comedy. So um, Gags the Clown... This one has kind of an interesting history on how this one got made. It was based off a short that went viral that people started thinking was real and started to imitate it about clowns standing around the city. It was very weird that this kind of idea took over. Do you remember a few years back when they had this huge big thing with people dressing as clowns and standing around? It all went viral. Gags the Clown, the original short, I believe inspired that whole movement. That's to my understanding. I'm not 100% sure. That's probably where that movie um, that the, uh, geez, I can't think of the name, Wasco, um, I believe there was something with that clown too so there's like this weird um you know stuff with clowns and you know urban legends or whatever but um gags the clown here we go this is a very structurally weird movie and um i'm gonna admit it's it's not necessarily found footage but you'd say it's like that fake kind of documentary style stuff and somewhat found footage somebody spliced it together but regardless i am not a fan of the structure of this film I, I'm trying not to be negative on it because the way they did it, a lot of times the shots overlap and you see things from different points of view, and it is very clever, and it took a long time to put together, I imagine, but at the end of the day, it becomes very jarring. The story here is there's a, a, a clown called Gags the Clown that keeps appearing around town, and uh, a bunch of people are interested in it. The local news station's interested in checking it out. Um, uh, that's led by Lauren Ashley Carter, who's a reporter. Her and her cameraman are after Gags the Clown. Another group of reporters are after Gags the Clown. A bunch of kids who are doing pranks of their own dressed as clowns are looking to find Gags the Clown. And then we have police officers because there's a bunch of crimes uh, being committed where balloons are being left filled with this white powder substance that seems to make people who inhale it go nuts. Gags is leaving those. And then last we have this um, kind of conservative radio host called, from the right stuff. His last name is W-R-I-T, uh, G-T. Um, W-R-I-G-T, sorry guys, um, looking for Gags the Clown as well. So we have these four different groups. All of them have their own way of footage. Sometimes they go Facebook Live. Sometimes it's just newscaster footage. And then they'll cut in security camera footage from other places. So someone somehow cobbled together all this possible footage they could have. Um, so it's the point of view of all these cameras in the area of, of this Gags the Clown story. So... The concept is pretty um, interesting. Like, I like the idea of Gags the Clown leaving these balloons that are messing people up, and it all comes to a head at this abandoned factory. But some of the, like I said, structural stuff, it just doesn't really work for me. It becomes kind of jarring and distracting because it's so uh, almost overly complicated and having all these different people jump in and out and everything like that. Um, the acting ranges. Lauren Ashley Carter is tremendous. She's always good, though. She's in a bunch of stuff like um, The Woman and uh, Darling, um, both Darlings, which is really weird. But she's... Uh, uh, pretty good in this. Her cameraman, her 
and they have good charisma. They're probably the funniest part of the movie. Um, the actor who plays um, Charles Wright, he's also very good. He is believable in that role, and and there's points when he becomes almost sympathetic to a certain extent. You see him actually who he is more so. Enjoyed those characters. Enjoyed those acting performances. The rest is okay. Uh, nothing I would say is bad or good. But the ending actually starts to get really good, and then by the time you're there, it's coming to an end. Like the ending interested me, but to get there wasn't necessarily worth it for me um and a lot of people will love the structure like i said it's cutting between these cameras the whole time and uh you know it involves a big social media force and everything like that and there is elements of comedy in here um some of it's okay some of it, like i said the stuff that made me laugh is the bickering between people that stuff i thought was well done especially by some of the um more capable actors um Again, uh, the other comedy, it, it's here and there. I, I don't particularly like the kids pulling pranks routine. That's just really, you know, eh. It's, I've seen it a million times and it gets very old. Those characters are just kind of uh, lackluster for me. And like I said, it starts off a little slow and by the time it picks up, you're interested. Um, you know, the special effects are decent on gigs and, and stored the, towards the end, you see some crazy things, but there's some plot holes. Like why would there be security cameras inside an abandoned factory that doesn't have electricity? Why would those cameras work? And if they did work, wouldn't the people see all the crazy things going in the security footage? Cause they just don't leave security cameras for no particular reason without checking them. So like, I'm like, eh, I'm going to have to, you know, let that slide again. There's killer clowns running around in this movie. So I guess you'll have to let that slide too. So, you know what it's saying? Kind of being nitpicky out a horror movie on something supernatural is eh, but still this stuff is practical like shouldn't shouldn't have happened in the movie i don't think maybe i'm wrong maybe they do put computer uh you know security cameras on abandoned buildings i can imagine that but i bet they do check them regularly maybe they only check them when something goes wrong i don't know didn't seem right to me uh that's that's about the it on i have to say about the movie i thought it was okay i i, I didn't like how it was put together even though i thought some of it was clever and I did like the end. Um, there's some interviews with the director and um, some of the people involved with the movie, like Lauren Ashley Carter gets interviewed. They have a bunch of the actors talk about their roles, and they, they kind of dig deeper and say, you know, it's, there's social messages and everything in there as well. There's a director's commentary, and there is an original short on here as well, if people are interested in checking it out. That is Gags the Clown. God, are you kidding me? Get all this on camera. But earlier this week, we had an unwanted visitor. That's right, a clown. Clown was first spotted one week ago. Images of a mysterious person in a dingy clown suit with black balloons. What can either be seen as an attempt at entertaining citizens or terrorizing them. Well, some find it to be harmless, good-natured fun. Others are troubled. You know he's up to no good. Those original gags photos are just creepy. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah, I was just chased up the stairs to my apartment by a clown. That clown's gonna pop like one of those black balloons. Crazy dude, he's been hunting gags all night. Someone with the intent of killing him? That's a one in a million exclusive. That's worldwide news. This is bigger than we thought. And the feed is cut. <sighs> Thank God, something exciting to report on in this city. There's a clown in town. He's waiting around. He's waiting around for you. Yeah, there's a clown downtown. This whole damn city is clown crazy. It's just a guy in a clown suit, right?
Okay, the next one here, we have Assassinat. This is from Dread Central, or Epic Pictures Releasing, and this is by the director of Science Team, and more importantly, The Taint. And he's come a long way since The Taint. I really enjoyed The Taint. It's a ridiculous movie, very goofy, very fun. And Assassinat isn't that. Um, it's it's kind of fun, but it's more like, um, has like an ambulance feel, but very serious. We, this takes place in the future, where there's factions of terrorism, kind of... Um, Aliens have invaded the Earth, and they're among us. They're everywhere around Earth. Somebody decides, the president decides to make a very um, huge decision and drops bombs on Earth. And, you know, pretty much starts like a big apocalypse. We're still at war with the insects, and there's a group of kids that they're going to send out to space to be the only, you know, kind of last hope. I think they're supposed to meet the aliens and somehow, you know, make relations with them. It's not necessarily clear, but there is, of course, there's alien sympathizers out there who paint their face blue and want to destroy um, um, you know, humankind because they sympathize with the aliens. Um, Vito um, Trigo is in this movie, and this is like the third movie I've seen him in that qualifies for this year. And he's a very good actor. I enjoy him. His intensity is pretty much unmatched when it comes to indie actors. He's in Return to Newcomb High Part 1 and 2, Maggots, tons of stuff. He's in lots of things. Science Team. I enjoy his acting. I think he's very good, and I think he's very, um, you know, he he, he captures, he's like, I always want to watch him, and I always don't know what he's going to do, and he puts a lot of intensity into his roles and I always appreciate that. Essentially, his job is to kind of help these kids or train them to go on this mission, which is kind of suicidal. All the kids have their backstories and their motives, but it really focuses on the main girl here who wants to go because her mother, you know, was sick and was an astronaut and or assassinat and her dad was, you know, this kind of, um, I don't know if there were assassinats, but they went into space and the science is big in this world. So they want to go to this alien um, hostile planet. And what happens is they go up to the presidential space station to meet the president and be launched on. But something tragic happens. They have to, you know, leave the ship immediately, a terrorist attack, and they end up kind of stranded on this, um, you know, violent um, alien world and trying to survive. That's the setup of the movie. Um, surprisingly, a lot of this stuff is very endearing. The score works well with that. It makes it kind of heartfelt. You, The kids start to develop, you know, a, a, a friendship amongst each other, and they seem to care about each other, and you actually start to care about the kids. And like I said, it, it's one of these movies that feels almost like childlike and, and like child-friendly and emotional and like you're like oh this is going to have a good ending but people die kids die and that it was like oh wow this is kind of sad in a lot of ways um what happens is it kind of turns halfway through or towards the end into like a um a slasher in in this uh deserted uh place without spoiling too much um the practical effects are really good and really gooey i wish there was more i wish there was more aliens i wish there was more you know kind of cool stuff like that but the stuff you do get is good it is well done all in all the movie is very satisfying and it's a completely different thing from uh, the Taint and Science Team. It does have similarities for, you know, Science Team, but I think that it's unique and it's different, and I think it's um, 100% um, endearing. It's not some kind of movie, because there's a lot of movies out there that are made um, in a, a very silly on purpose, and that's okay, but even the movies that, you know, we watched uh, that we consider silly weren't always meant to be completely silly all the time. I felt like there was some realism in the acting, and I think there is realism in the acting here, too. I, I would check this one out. You know, the characters do have, you know, hidden agendas and past and everything that comes to light, too, so it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. I think it's cool, and uh, it's a nice sci-fi horror movie. I hear the vacuum of space is a really bad place to die. People's veins explode, and their heads explode, and all kinds of other stuff explodes. Well, I'll try not to explode. Why is it you children think you should go into space? Great men die in space. You must save the children! I can't save it! I'm not a man.
gonna do? I should not have brought you here. Who are you? You will die. You will die. Don't become the leader of the most powerful civilization in the universe without stepping on a few toes. We have a bomb on the presidential space station. Come on down, honey. Show me what you've got. Why'd you put me on this mission, Jack? You're so good with kids. Taking everything I have right now to not tear you to pieces. Oh boy, this next one, it's insane. It's Robert Edgar's follow up to The Witch, it is The Lighthouse. Oh, I didn't really know what to expect. This one shot in a full screen uh, aspect ratio. It's black and white. It stars Robert Padson and Willem Dafoe. And that's pretty much all the people in the movie. There's not really any other major acting performances in this movie. So uh, the setup here is um, Robert Padson shows up to kind of... Um, it's, it's a lighthouse they're taking care of on an isolated island. Willem Dafoe is the older guy. And he's going to teach Robert Padson what, how to do this and what's going on. Um, right away, um, they both seem kind of odd. Seem a little out of it. Seem kind of not really exactly the friendliest or likable people. Robert Padson doesn't like to talk. Willem Dafoe can be very kind of um, standoffish and he talked down to people and essentially what happens is you know something is dread right away from like right from the first frame uh you hear the, the the horns going off and the crashing waves outside it's uh terrifying to be honest in that kind of situation so what happens is probably some of the best psychological horror i've seen in a long time the performances in this movie are top notch um and they all have these thick accents especially willem dafoe and it's very hard to have a thick accent um think the witch because <laughs> that actor is very good and his accent is very genuine but it's hard to understand him here i can understand what willem dafoe is saying and the things he says it seems accurate it seems wonderful because he's like a sailor he was a captain and everything oh maybe not even a captain but he was a sailor at one point he's got like a bad leg so all these kind of things unfold where there's um this underlining sexual tension not even underlining if by the end of the movie and they seem to be fighting over who wants to you know guard the light like the light is some sort of fantastical woman or something like that like a a thing that they desire and it almost feels supernatural at times but you don't know if it's really all psychological which i would suggest but strange things do happen that could push it over that line into a supernatural aspect uh like I said, it's beautifully shot. The sound design is top-notch, and it's like going into layers of craziness. And I think somebody I heard compared this to Wake and Fright, but if they haven't, it should be. It's like that kind of Wake and Fright with that weird kind of masculinity, that thin like masculinity and everything like that, and this uh, um, psychological stuff that's going on through the lead character. It does feel like that, especially the relationship the lead in Wake and Fright has with Donald Pleasance. I do see that here, and I would make that comparison. Um, I think, like I said, these are probably some of my favorite performances 
of the year. Um, there's a couple speeches in here that monologues they give when they're losing it, and I was just wow. And this is the type of movie that you know they would say art house, and you see like times when the movie just stops and there's a great lighting um, shadows on Robert Pattinson's face, and you can see it from the windows. It's just on his face. It's perfect, and the camera just slowly pans in on him, he's staring off, and you're just like some people be like, ah, oh, it's so stupid, but it's just like. Man, that's a sense of dread that I like. And I think it's very effective. The last shot in this movie is very haunting. It's stuck in my head for a couple days after I watched it. Highest recommend recommend here. Great stuff. The Lighthouse. Um, I like it better than The Witch. I mean, because I think it's easier to take in than The Witch first time watch. I've only seen The Witch once, too, and really liked it. But this one, I, The Witch, I had to think about. And this one, I had to think about a little bit, but not as much. And I was like, no, that's that's great. I, I really like this. I think it's pretty straightforward, but there's other things you could dive into, um, and like involving, you know, uh, mythology and things like that in there. And some people would say Lovecrafty and all that kind of weird stuff and superstition. And I love that kind of stuff. So, yeah, The Lighthouse, good stuff, good stuff. A timberman want with being a wiki. It's looking to earn a living. It's like any man. Starting new. On the run. Keeping secrets, are you? No, sir. Why just spill your beans? Okay, the next one is by Jennifer Kent. I watched this on Hulu, and this is uh, The Nightingale. Wow, boy, oh boy. I thought The Baba Duke was really good. That was her first film. Uh, I didn't love it. I thought it was great, but I, it just wasn't something that connected with me 100%. I liked the movie, though. I think it was very well made. The Nightingale is definitely more up my alley. I believe this takes place in the 1820s um, in uh, Tasmania, around, you know, Australia area or whatever. And this is basically about the English, you know, colonizing Australia. And um, there's a war, basically a genocide against the Aboriginal people there. Um, the main character in this film is an Irish woman. She's uh, basically a criminal, and she's uh, tethered to this captain, or lieutenant. I believe he's a lieutenant in the English army. She's tethered to him and owes him. She's also married herself and has a young ch a baby of herself. So this movie is um, a colonial rape revenge movie. Um, on the Internet Movie Database, they list it as, I think, um, like uh, mystery, uh, thriller, drama, gothic. And it has a lot of gothic aspects as well. Um, I, I would say like the fog and everything like that. Um, it's shot beautifully, but 
um, I was listening to a podcast and they said that Jennifer Kent made sure it was the four by three because she didn't want people's eyes drifting to the beautiful scenery. And people would say this is a Western too, which kind of defeats it being a Western, you know, because you want that widescreen Western. You want it to look beautiful. You want to see everything. But she didn't want that to be the hyper-focused thing. It forces you to focus on the characters. It forces you to have focus on them. Regardless, what happens is some brutal rape and some brutal, horrible things to um, the lead character in this movie and some awful stuff. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's some of the most grueling stuff I've seen all year. I was sitting there watching it and thinking... I might have to turn this off. I was like, are they going to do this? Oh, they did it. So essentially, she, um, like most people who want revenge, they realize, you know, this is there's nothing left for them. They're a ghost. They have nothing. They want to get revenge. Um, this is a horrible time for her because she is technically a wanted pr- a criminal um, without her papers or without the lieutenant to lead her. But the lieutenant's the one who did her wrong. The lieutenant, her, his sergeant, and some others are some of the most despicable villains I have seen in a very, very long time. Disgusting. Made me mad. Made me angry. Made me want to kill. So she goes after them, and she enlists the help of an aboriginal uh, person um, named Billy, who turns in one of the best performances of the year as well. Very good character. So these two here, there's a racism between them. They don't like each other. They can't stand each other, and the Irish woman thinks she's better than him. And She has a, a disdain for him, and he has a disdain for her. But she needs his help. So they decide to, he, she pays him to go and help them track them. She lies to him, says that they're looking for her husband. And what goes uh, follows is a really rough survival terrain and things like that. Horrible nightmare sequences. When she actually gets her revenge, um, some of it, um, she realizes that this might not be what she wants. You know, the, the whole saying, if you're going to um, get revenge, you might as well dig two graves. And also, it feels like the revenant. When you have that revenge, what's left? If there's nothing, you know what I mean? If you're living for the revenge and once it's done, what's left? But there's also other interesting things in here besides the whole genocide stuff, which is really disgusting and sad. And I think that it was something that I wasn't familiar with 100%. I do believe, obviously, stuff like that happened everywhere. You know, that's just the unfortunate um, history of the world. Um, But I'd never seen a movie about it. And I love that the idea that, I spit a little bit there, but I love that the idea that the Irish woman speaks to her husband in actual Gaelic, and Billy speaks in his own language as well, and he talks about how he's the bird and everything like that, and it just is like nice to see this kind of stuff, and nice to see this, um, you know, things that I had no clue, you know, about, um, like I said, and, and these two start to form a relationship and it, and it takes a while and their relationship forms for their mutual hatred of the English. So, uh, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but like I said, it has some of the most grueling, brutal and touching moments. Um, Jennifer Kent is not one of these directors who loves the violence. She doesn't, I love Tarantino. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I love all types of film and it all interests me how people handle these things differently. Okay. Um, Tarantino handles his violence like, oh, here we come here. Let's bring it in. It's gory. It's fun. And even Romero handles his violence a little different. It is over the top, but it's there kind of prove a point. You know, it, it feels like it belongs while, um, Tarantino, like he, he embraces it. It's like popcorn to him. Well, Jennifer Kent, you watch this stuff and it's repulsive. Like, it's like, yeah, violence is bad, guys. Don't you forget it. It's awful. It's an awful thing. And um, you should feel awful when you see it. And you do. And I am sick in a lot of ways because I enjoy feeling all... I When movies have power over me, I like it. I like the movies to affect me emotionally. Maybe I'm emotionally dead on the outside world and films are the only thing that can emotionally affect me. I don't know. Possibility. But um, I like when movies affect me and invoke emotion. I, and this one did a lot. Same thing with Lighthouse. I mean, 
But this one really did. And maybe some people, like, it's funny because where do you call Rape Revenge? I know a lot of people consider it a horror film, an exploitation film, but I don't, is it exploitative to get those, evoke those emotions from you? And is it just because it's such a well-made period piece, does it automatically negate the subject matter? Does it surpass it? Is it no longer in that genre? It's so it's 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 very good question to ask. I, I you know if it was made like shit for ten dollars, would people be like, oh, this is an exploitation movie? But I've seen exploitation movies be well made and still be exploitation movies and still get their points across and still be very effective to me, and very invoke emotion. Like toys are not for children. Hey, say what you want about that movie, but I felt genuinely bad for this person in the movie. So where do you where's the line? Is there a line? I don't think movies were ever supposed to be in a genre or in a box. We just put things in a box because that's what we do. But a uh, phenomenal movie. It's on Hulu streaming. Uh, one of my favorites of the year. Phenomenal. I, I thought it was a great, touching, emotional movie with very good characters, uh, very well acted. Um, yeah, good stuff. The Nightingale. Sing a song. The one for me. I wish I were yonder hill. We don't want no trouble. That's just the way, isn't it? You don't want trouble, but sometimes trouble wants you. It's there I'd sit and cry my fill. Get me to the soldiers that came by this morning. It's too dangerous. Up north, they kill us. You sure you want to follow him? Every tear would turn a man. They're close. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I don't want no trouble. I'll sell my rock, I'll sell my wheel. Sell my only spinning wheel. You know what it's like to have a white fella take everything you have, don't you? To buy my love a sword of steel. What's your name again? Claire. I'm not your boy. I'm Mangana, the Blackbird. I wish, I wish, I wish in vain. You white ones go fast, fast, fast. Get nowhere. I go slow. I wish I had my love again. Forget the bird thought she was going to die out there in the forest. Suddenly, she was free. Okay, we got another one that's really weird called Border. Uh, yeah, uh, this is a really strange movie. I'm not actually sure what country it's from. Maybe um, Germany? I'm not 100% sure. This is a wild movie. This is a dark fairy tale is what I'd put it, and other people suggested that's what it is. That's definitely what it is. And I don't want to spoil too much because this movie takes two ter- huge turns, and they're both twists, and they both kind of blew my mind. I didn't know what to expect. But 
the story follows this um, physically deformed woman named Tina. She works as airport security, and she can sense people's feelings. So if somebody's walking in there and she says, well, this person, you know, they're scared, so they probably are hiding something. Or this person is, you know, angry or violent. She can sense it and pull them over, and she's usually right about spotting these things. You can tell she's a gentle soul, has a gentle nature. She picks up insects and holds them close. Animals, she can sense when animals are around. Animals come up to her. And she kind of lives this um, kind of loveless life with a, a boyfriend who kind of taking advantage of her in her house. And she lives in the middle of the wilderness. So she, she's not like other people. She doesn't feel like she belongs anywhere. Someone comes to the airport that looks a lot like her that is a lot like her in a lot of ways and they start to form a relationship and they have a love that blossoms in a, in a lot of ways and, and I don't want to spoil anything else be, about the plot besides that but there's really touching montage scene where they're actually falling in love and you know embracing nature and is playing this sweet music and it takes a couple turns that it just kind of blew my mind but it's it's this one thing these are the people that are different in the movie these these people are strange and unique in a grounded world that's what's cool about it because not everything is uh, over the top or ridiculous or weird. It's just these one thing about them and they're that. And there's a couple points when I felt like, is this going to work? Is this going to do this? And this doesn't seem out of the place. And I was like, oh, it all makes sense now. It all kind of comes together. But um, it is a statement about humanity in, in a lot of ways. But it's also a statement about good and evil or goodness in someone or being an outcast. No matter what you do, we're not belonging where you don't belong. But... Um, it's well made. It's well acted. Great performance by the lead in here. I genuinely felt horrible for the uh, for Tina, but it's it's a great movie. It's it's well shot. It looks at a gorgeous location. It's interesting. It takes a couple turns that I didn't expect, and it's just uh, a a beautiful, crazy, weird love story, dark fantasy fairy tale, um, twisted movie. It's twisted at the same time. It has some twisted elements about it, but um, very good, very good, very interesting, very good stuff. Ja, 
inte lyssna på mycket på vad människor säger. I hela mitt liv så ingenting. Okay, this next one, I read it on YouTube, and it is Video Man. I believe this is like a um, Scandinavian movie. Maybe it's Finnish, Swedish, or whatever. But, oh boy, this one I was not ready for. Uh, I saw a review, it said, on the, on the trailer, it said the anti-nostalgia movie. And yeah, okay, what we have here is two people, basically. A girl, uh, a woman who's uh, an alcoholic. She's fascinated with the 80s. She's just recently been divorced. She has uh, She's out of touch with her daughter. And the other person in this movie we have is the video man, who is, uh, in 1989, he ran the best video store around. But now he's older. No one likes VHS. No one likes anything that he likes um you know he has the video collection in his basement he doesn't have any money he's pretty much an alcoholic too he has his problems um the woman also has their problems i can't remember the character's names but they both have their problems they're both kind of you know miserable in a lot of ways but uh one day uh he takes an ad out um he sees an ad selling tapes visits her to buy a tape she's selling a zombie tape which has the city of the living dead cover art on it but it's a zombie tape i believe it is actually the tape from that uh, that region but it's a super rare tape he ends up buying it and uh, he gets a call from this really elusive, mysterious, kind of scary VHS collector called Faceless. That's got to be a shout out to, you know, the Telly Savalas movie Faceless. So there's so, this movie's so niche, so for a very small group of people. So basically what happens is he's obsessed with cinema. He decides to sell this tape because they offer him 10,000 euros. The tape goes missing. Faceless is coming, wants the tape. He is horrified um, that something bad's going to happen. He's also dealing with his life and he's trying to find this tape amongst a bunch of VHS collectors he think might have stolen it. And that's where a lot of the humor lies. There's great moments where he's in a, a secondhand shop and he picks up this ex-rental and he's like, how much is this? And she says, 10. And he's like, what? And she's like, all right, five. He's like, this is an ex-rental big box. You can at least get 200 for it. And it's just so great that he would argue with somebody about the price being too low because he's still living that nostalgia life, that VHS life. But uh, the color's great. I mean, the lighting's great. It's got really great music as well. You know, they do a lot of like pinks and, and, and uh, blues. It's kind of shot like a very Italian movie because he's obsessed with Italian films. His name is Ennio, like Ennio Morricone. So it's like, yes. And uh, he's based on a real VHS collector, which is interesting for from the time who actually has a cameo in the movie so uh this movie is wonderful it has the favorite art my favorite argument of the year if not my favorite argument ever i don't know because he argues with about a film collector and it's just a wonderful nerdy argument and it involves fulci and argento and i laughed so loud and so hard and right then the movie i was like i love this thing i absolutely adore this thing but uh and there's again there's a great love story in there i'm a sucker i guess if you like put a like a love story in a genre movie it's just like more like more touching to me and more direct to me i don't know why but love stories without the genre films, I'm like, get it out of here. I don't know. The only way to, to my heart is through genre film, I think. So there we go. And uh, yeah, the video man loved the hell out of it. Um, very entertaining, very funny, but also, you know, it has some horror elements. It's inspired by those horror films or those those things we all love, but it's not necessarily that. Um, great performance by the lead here. I really liked him, even though he is kind of an asshole. 
But uh, if you do end up watching this and you don't like it for any reason, make sure you get to the argument, okay? You'll know exactly because it involves Fulci and Argento, and I laughed out loud so hard. But um, I love this movie. It's great. It's unique. It's different um, and very cool. 1980 var jag Sveriges bästa videouthyrare. Nu är det 2017. En helt annan värld. Om tre veckor och två dagar så kastar de ut mig från källan. Jag har inte mer att låna dig. Nej, jag vet. Is this Ennio? Yes. I'm faithless. I heard you got zombie released on video invest. It's not for sale. I'll give you 10,000 euros for it. Yes! Yes! Jag känner för att bli full nu. Vi är passionerade människor. Folk är idioter för fan. Du är en negativ person. Jag är en positiv person som ofta blir besviken. Någon har skott min jävla film. Is there a problem with the film? Jag måste berätta en sak för dig. Är det knäpp eller? En del bygger hus. Vi kan ju bygga varandra. All right, the next one here also fits into, you know, kind of a film being within the movie. And this is Antrim. So Antrim, yeah, this is a weird one, okay? This is basically a, a fake, you know, kind of part documentary, part movie about them. Kind of feels like if they were to take the first, you know, the Blair Witch where they're doing all the interviews, the Blair Witch, not the project, but the interviews, and then show you the Blair Witch as a double feature because we have these people talking about this lost film, Antrim, which uh, supposedly the theater burned down the first time it was shown. All the film uh, festival critics who saw it died shortly after, and then they did one more screening where it was a burst of violence, kind of like, what is that, uh, the Rites of Spring, right? Is that the song? I'm thinking of the composer of that whole thing. Yeah, so I guess we're kind of looking at it like this. So this lost film is supposed to be evil. It's supposed to be satanic. Um, and you're getting to watch it, you know, for the first time. They're doing a screening, and, and you basically get to watch the movie. It's supposed to be an old film shot on 35 millimeter, and it's supposed to be from the late 70s, early 80s. So what happens is here we have this uh, child who keeps having these nightmares. So his, I think it's his sister or his mother, takes him out into the um, woods where there's this weird area. She tells him it's, you know, you have to, you know, give, a, give some thing in so you'll be protected from the demons here because we're going to dig to hell because he the little boy thinks that his dog's in hell from the nightmares and they recently lost their dog so he wants to dig and find his his dog and and you know help the dog out of hell or some weird thing like that so it basically goes through all these layers they have this weird book and they're opening it and looking through it and uh in the beginning there's this wonderful shot where they're uh, laughing and chasing each other around and it zooms out, and you see something really nasty in uh, the foreground. And I was like, more of this, more of this, and you got yourself a hit. Unfortunately, they didn't do any more of that. It looks good. Um, it's shot in a wonderful location. The woods, lots of dead leaves, lots of big trees trees that are just going growing into each other and it great makes it for a great skyline when you look up like that that stuff all looks fantastic the music's solid the acting's solid and um it's just i wish it went more into the supernatural satanic side i wish it was more into that area because we're talking about something that's supposed to possess the audience supposed to kill the audience supposed to kill you um so yeah it is freaky i'm not gonna lie the first opening and like and when the movie starts you're like oh no what did i get myself into and the ending also kind of plays into a lot of the things and shows you the things they put over the film and, and, and that's really unique and kind of clever as well. And the little kid in the movie looks like Bob 
from House, <laughs> House by the Cemetery. So, yeah. Um, I enjoyed it uh, for the most part. I just think it would have went further than it actually did. That's Antrim. In 1988, a small movie theater in Budapest, Hungary, burnt to the ground, killing the 56 people who were watching the film. The film that was screening was called Antrim. It's such a disturbing story, Antrim. It's kind of the holy grail of underground cult films that no one has seen. It makes people very nervous. Except for a handful of film festival programmers who are now dead. People say that the film is cursed or possessed. I felt very different watching that film. Antrim is not safe. You know of uh, Nakata's Ringu, Urbinski's The Ring, Carpenter's TV movie uh, Cigarette Burns, all about movies that, that kill people, but Antrim is that movie. There were festival programmers who mysteriously died. The theater in Budapest burned down. Then there was the riot and trampling. Because I had heard the rumors. There's a lot of rumors around this film. There are real people that died. There was that fire. I mean, why do people go to horror movies? Because they want to be scared. It just gets under your skin. What a beyond being scared. Something could mess you up forever. It's sad to play. They can really play games with your mind. Because whatever it's planted in the human mind, it lingers. It can even cause you to have a nervous breakdown. Why the hell did someone do that? No, it was like the work of the devil. <laughs> it went from angelic to demonic. I mean, that's kind of what happens when people watch this film. They're going to be vulnerable to the devil. There are dark elements in music. There are dark elements in film that can cause people to do things that they might otherwise not do. Things are happening to people who are watching the film. Or it could be just a coincidence. Some people don't think it exists. Some people claim to have seen it and lived. And now apparently, you guys have found it. So... have an intention to watch the movie, you better watch it with somebody else. Okay, the next one's going to be a quickie, and it is Atlantics. Um, I heard this make a couple of people from the Shockwaves podcast top 10. And this movie, I, I can't think what country it is. I think um, African, or is it over? Basically, no, I, maybe European. It's definitely a country I'm not 100% familiar with, because the only reason I'm getting thrown out where it is is because they're trying to drive to Spain or on a boat. So it's got to be kind of the Mediterranean. Regardless, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to, to um, geographical locations. I'm awful at it. So I'll put where the... <laughs> 
where it's from here. But uh, this movie is going to be a quickie review because I don't have that much to say about it. This story is very slow paced, and this is another um, theme I've noticed this year: is let's not let's set the movie up for like fifty minutes, and then you know you get another hour. There's so much of that, and that's not necessarily a negative, but it does when you're watching dozens of movies from this year. It does become kind of um, a chore sometimes when you're fifty minutes in, and then you're just like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, a couple of these landed in the right spots are perfect. Like I said, I love the lighthouse and that, but this one it follows the story of a group of workers who are being stiffed on their pay. They haven't been paid for three months. Irate and upset, they decide to take a boat to the um, you know the businesses where they're where they're getting supposed to be getting paid from. Um, the boat doesn't return they disappear no one knows what happens and essentially the girlfriends of the people um they all frequent in this bar and everything like that the girlfriends of these people start to uh, become possessed and go after the people who didn't pay them in their area so that's kind of the plot of the movie it's not really a horror film but it has these supernatural touches the music's really good the score's really good the lead character i enjoy because she's put into a loveless marriage one of these kind of deals and her boyfriend disappeared and it's just kind of like a, a really um male-centric, um, you know, society. And you really feel bad for the women in this movie. They're just treated poorly, forced to marry, you know, who they don't really have a say. And uh, the lead character has to, you know, fight for herself and, and overcome a lot of these things and, you know, say goodbye to her boyfriend. And like I said, I do like the things that they do. The visual kind of, uh, you know, transitions are, are really nice, especially when they focus on the sun and it's setting over the, you know, the horizon on the water. It looks great. It looks very beautiful. And then that's also to signify a possession. So it's a really well-made film in a lot of ways. And, and um, visually it looks great, especially when the girls are possessed and their eyes are white. Very, uh, you know, very European kind of sentiment there, you know, Fulci and all those kind of, uh, you know, uh, Dario films, you know. So I like aspects about it, and it's it's a well-made movie, and it's good. Like, anybody told you, oh, this is a poorly made film, or it's just poorly constructed, or anything like that. It's not. It's it's well-made. It's just, it never really grabbed me in. I think that it's interesting, and I think that um, I generally felt bad for the characters, you know, and I wanted the person, uh, I, I would just wish, I guess, I'm looking for more chaos or more comeuppets. And it's not that kind of movie. It's really not. But um, it is well made, and it is on Netflix if you're interested. Is it going to be a good one? Maria Ouda, in 10 years, with Omar? Is it going to be a good one? Maria, I'm going to be a good one. 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 Suleiman, 
Okay, the next one here is Greta. Yeah. And you know what? First, before I forget, I want to mention that uh, the girl from It Follows was in here as a friend. She's also in the next movie, and it kind of blew my mind. I didn't recognize her at first, but then when it came to her, I was like, oh, whoa, that's her, that's her. But Greta, this is kind of your 90s standard stalker, Um, you know, like, um, what is it? The, uh, what's the one with Bridget Fonda or something like, single white female, where somebody becomes friends with somebody, they become obsessed with them, and they don't let them go. This feels just like all those thriller kind of 90s movies, like Misery or something like that, but not as effective as Misery. So the lady who plays Greta is phenomenal in this movie. Essentially what happens is this uh, young girl who just lost her mother, so she's you know has a void in her life. She finds a purse, and it belongs to this um, older woman named Greta, who is supposedly from uh, what France. She delivers the purse to her. The old lady says, thank you. She's not that old, but you know, a uh, middle-aged woman. She says, thank you very much. Why don't you come in for coffee? And they start this blossoming friendship. And after a while, she starts to realize Greta's not who she says she is. or something very wrong with Greta, but Greta doesn't doesn't want this friendship to end. Um, cue all these creepy kind of moments where Greta's following her at work. She's always in the background. She's starting to stalk her friends, and eventually it gets a little bit even, um, you know, more than that, and it becomes an abduction kind of like situation. And I don't want to spoil too much. There's lots of reoccurring things and cool moments, like with the piano and everything like that. Stephen Ra has a, a small role in here, and it makes sense because Neil Jordan directed this, and you know he's in the Crying Game and stuff like that. So Neil Jordan did also Mona Lisa, which is a fantastic movie, The Crying Game, Company of Wolves, and which really strikes me weird because this movie I, I i feel like when i watched the crying game or mona lisa i feel like there is like an artur director behind those when i saw those this one i don't feel that i feel it's i don't want to be negative it's very standard it's a very standard well-made and well-acted movie it's like a very good thriller and and like it's again i'm gonna be ridiculed for this but like it's like like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, people were like, this is good. This is solid. But now it's like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And I don't know, maybe I haven't really heard that many people say it's great, but it is very good. Um, I just don't love it because I felt like everything was predicted. I do love the best friend of the lead girl in here, played by the girl from It Falls. I think she's really good in it. I like her. Um, and there's some creepy moments. Like performances are great. And uh, it's just not enough different happens to me. And I feel like I've seen this movie a hundred times already coming from the guy who watches slashers and zombies and stuff. I guess that's meaningless, but I feel like there's no, this kind of movie I need to be, have the suspense. I need to be on the edge of my seat. And it wasn't there. I mean, I, I was in, I was like, come on, come on, come on. But it played out like I thought it was going to play out, but it's still good. Um, and there's a couple moments where I was like, Whoa, there's, there's a couple good moments. It's a good movie. Don't let me deter you from seeing it, but it's just not, um, anything, uh, from Neil Jordan. I thought it might be a little bit different, but it's not. that I found that I think belongs to Greta Hedag. Oh, bless your heart. Where did you find it? On the subway. Oh, would you like a cup of coffee? You've been so kind. I don't get many visitors here. I've been so lonely since my daughter left. 
Well, I could help you. My mom actually used to say, uh, I'm like chewing gum. I tend to stick around. Where are the candles? Uh, in the cabinet. I guess she's been finding bags around the city. I was hoping someone brings them back to her. And you did. Oh my god, it's her. Just let it ring. I saw the bags, Greta. And I never want to see you again. She's really freaking me out. This is not a problem. Public area, her rights are protected. Why are you doing this? How exciting. Hi, I'm Francis, and I'll be your waitress for the evening. No, I can't do this. Are you a child? No, you're the child. You need a mother to hold it. Don't you dare talk to me about my mother. She had to die for us for me. Are you out of your mind? Look at her. She's full of greeting. She's gone, Everyone needs a friend. But we're more than friends. We're connected. There's something you need to know about Greta. What? Are you insane? What did you do? Just try to get rid of Greta. Okay, the next one is Villains, and uh, I watched this on Amazon. I rented this. This stars Bill Sarsgaard and, uh, again, the lady from It Falls. I can't think of her name. And Bill Sarsgaard plays Pennywise. So, yeah, um, it's nice to see him without the makeup. Uh, essentially, this is um, – I can't think of the uh, the two uh, – basically villains in the movie but everyone's kind of a villain but the two uh lead characters are the mom and dad or whatever because they're really good too this is basically like five people in the entire movie they're all very good and the whole movie's put on them we have is two kind of i guess they'd say millennial i even think they say the description millennial criminals who uh essentially bill sarsgaard and his girlfriend from it falls uh i can't think of her name i really should have took 10 seconds to dedicate some time to figure her name out but um so basically there are a robbery which is a very comedic moment and uh their car runs out of gas they take shelter trying to you know steal a car in this big mansion in an isolated area and they end up breaking into the wrong house we've seen this before you know think people under the stairs think what is that one um the real killers or killers or what is the other one where the uh geez i can't think of it i've seen it um beautiful people aka it changed its name at one point but this is a very familiar plot and this is an indie movie uh it's comedic it's quirky it's weird and uh seeing review is like bad shit crazy i'm like yeah you guys haven't seen anything uh circa earlier than 2000 because uh bad shit crazy to me is like Hannah lotter or um tetsuo or something like that that's bad shit crazy this is pretty just quirky it's quirky so we have these characters, um, and they basically are tied up, and they have to survive, and the dialogue is great. Bill Sarsgaard is, is 
both the the young people in this movie are really kind of stupid but super endearing and you really like them you buy their relationship and you buy the relationship of the villains too you can tell they're messed up but they love each other and as it goes on you see more and more what happened to them and unfolds and everything like that i love the performances in this movie they're very strong they're very good um but again it's just kind of we're trapped in the house we got to get out of the house and that's the entire movie it doesn't pull its punches when it comes to certain things um i do think that when there's blood there's gore there's some nastiness to it there's some comedy of course there's tension in here but it's always common the very common theme like you ever have that scene where like is this guy gonna find this is this guy gonna find this is this guy gonna find this and then and, and this other person's waiting for him how many times have we seen that in this kind of movie exactly like i feel like i could take scenes from any other movie and like fill this movie in like boom 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 like you know greta and this are good thrillers and and, and very good performances but again they're nothing that i haven't seen a million times and, and um I, I do like thrillers, don't get me wrong, but they're not my favorite genre. You know, I'm more of, you know, a Western or horror guy or, you know, just batshit crazy stuff. So I do enjoy this one and I think it's worth watching and I think it has good performances. I like it better than Greta, I think, and it has a nice ending. Uh, but really, it, it ties into the they're having four really interesting performances in here instead of just the one by Greta. So I would check this out and I would recommend it. Uh, it has some bright, nice, it, it has some nice bright colors. It has some nice like wallpaper in the back and they make sure that it looks pretty. And this guy, the lead guy in here, I always confuse him, confuse him with Kevin Durand, but he's like a smaller guy. He's in the um, Ted Bundy, shockingly evil, um, extremely vile movie. And I always confuse him with Kevin Durant and that's not fair and I should have took time to recognize his name but he's very good in this and he has a nice southern charm very funny and uh, I really like him in the relationship with the two I mean I like characters that care about each other it makes it adds to the drama and that's here and it's it's good don't let me deter you from seeing it like it's a good movie but it's just nothing that I uh, knock my socks off This is a hell of a predicament we find ourselves in. I used to be a salesman. I could read people. Now, I'd like to take a stab at selling you. Judging by the broke down car and the sorry state of my front door, I'd say both of you are on the lam. Everybody get down! Next door, Florida! How'd I do? That was amazing. I feel like I might be able to read people just like that. I'm gonna try right now. Um, your clothes look expensive, and this is a pretty house. But you know what I think the most telling thing about you is? Come on, baby, there's nothing down here. It, it's, it's the little girl you got chained up in the basement. We're taking her with us. All right, you're free. Come with us. Ah! Sooner or later, someone's gonna come looking for you, too. But there's still time. You're a bad boy. Oh, baby. Oh, I thought I lost you. Don't sit here and tell me you don't wish you never went down those stairs. So are you guys gonna kill us or uh...
Okay, the next one I bought on Amazon Prime. This movie's been like 10 years in the coming, and it's from the director of Mold, Neil Machino. Uh, I can't think of his name. Uh, Machino or something like that. And he did a Mold, but this one is Maggots. I've been wanting to see Maggots for so long. I actually like, and it just hit like last week. So I was like, yeah, let's check this out. And Maggots is a very low budget movie. Um, I'm a sucker for animal attacks or insect attack movies, and that's what this is. Um, a lot of the effects are practical. There is some CGI, and the CGI blood splatters hit and miss, you know. But they use some kind of like I guess when they like do a um, like they put the the maggots on on things that I didn't notice looked really good when they put the screens in front of each other. I thought that looked cool when they pull the maggots really fast and stuff. I thought it looked good. So essentially, this movie is really goofy. It's borderline trauma like movie. So we have a um, student. Uh, the guy is actually in mold. So we have a student who wants to get uh, college funding to go in the middle of this kind of wilderness area where he thinks that fracking is causing mutations to insects and all sorts of things like that. Um, in the beginning, we have this giant fly that attacks some people, so we understand that maggots, you know, are getting giant, turning into giant flies, yada, yada, yada. A group of, you know, ridiculous college students go out there with him, all fairly useless, all really weird and over-the-top and nonsensical. Some of them I like, some of them I don't like. Um, the one guy who plays the comic relief is almost too ridiculous if that's he's almost just like a cartoon and at some points you're like what and other points you kind of think he's funny but overall he's just i don't know what the hell he's doing but um yeah so basically they run into the maggots and they have to fight to survive it takes like a long time for the maggots to get there which is kind of disappointing because it's only like an hour and 20 minute movie so you're like "Ah, i wish there was more maggots quicker but yeah when they get there it's fun um they do a point where there's there's not that many people in the movie they get killed but they kill two of them basically the same way where i was like come on there's like seven people to get killed this movie you kill two of them right away the same way i was like ah, it's stupid but um i did enjoy seeing a couple of people pop up from mold uh the colonel's in here and the main scientist they play park rangers and uh the colonel in this one i can't think of his name he's hilarious uh, as always he's very good some of the lighting's cool um i was watching this with uh some friends and they noted that the lighting in the um the ranger car was really cool with the reds i think it was blues and stuff like that yeah so i like that the banter between the two park rangers is really funny that stuff is better i think um these those actors I think can handle the sillier subject matter more and, and kind of bring it down to earth and make it feel kind of legitimate while some of the other actors just can't like, um, and mostly just the over the top guy, but that's kind of his purpose. You take it or leave it. I don't really care for it, but, um, yeah, so there's just, like, weird things going on here and everything like that. The characters, you know, like I said, some are stereotypical. At the end, the two got to face off against a house full of maggots. That's fun. That's gooey. That's gory. Overall, it's fun. It's a splatter movie. It's it, If it would have came out... Like eight years ago, I think that it would have done a little bit better because I feel like people's mindset was more into that kind of stuff than they are now. I think that people might be like, that's offensive and just not think it's funny because, you know, there's some silly jokes in here. They do pack in some nudity, some offensive, goofy things. Um, the camera quality changes between shots. Like I said, this was shot over a long period of time and you could tell some of the actors are getting older because, like I said, it was shot over a very long period of time. But uh, they have some nice drone shots and, and some of the other stuff that I believe had to be shot later looks good and looks clean. I mean, uh, I enjoyed it overall. I think it's worth checking out. If you like low-budget kind of uh, cheesy horror flicks, then this one should be up your alley. It's maggots.
lastly, we have the genus Cochleomia. Man eating. A man digging in this garden dug up an earthworm. It was nine feet long and weighed 65 pounds. Professor, I want to go up there and take some samples from the area. I'll bite, huh? You go ahead, chasing conspiracy theories, I'll allow it. I have a few failing students who need the extra credits to pass. You'll be taking them with you. Okay, this next one I watched on Full Moon Streaming, and it is Ouija's Halloween Night. Yeah, you guys know I'm a sucker for Little Creatures movies, so when I saw this was coming out, I was like, basically, they're making another Ghoulies, and it's on Halloween night. Hey, I did that, and I know that other movie did that too, Doll Factory, so I was like, I like that kind of stuff. That's right up my alley. That's a very smart thing to do is make Little Creatures on Halloween, because you can make it like a weird pentagram, whatever the hell you want to do. So I was in, 100%. So basically what we have here is a group of girls want to throw this um, party and make a bunch of money. They run out of motel. It's like it's like a big mansion, actually. They get it dirt cheap. They have a friend of theirs who they don't really like that they keep around. Well, they some of them like him, but they kind of make fun of him. He's a blend of their jokes. He's this kind of dorky guy that's in love with one of them. Make this weed, and that's going to be the prize. They're going to make all these people that pay do these scavenger hunts. And uh, basically what happens is this weird kind of, um, you know, uh, I guess I don't know what she is. She's some sort of mystical like cre- uh, person. She comes in. And she says, do you want to play this game instead? And she releases the Ouija's, which are basically these little ghouly party animals. And they have to capture all the Ouija's and put them in the board before midnight or they become Ouija's themselves. Um, there's this really weird uh, Rastafarian kind of like shadow guy there who's like, the Ouija's, man. It's very stupid. It's just like, okay. Um, this feels like a kid's movie. But um, again, it's just too boring to be a kid's movie, if that makes sense. Uh, and the it looks good, like for a low budget. You're like, oh, they, they look pretty good, the lighting and everything like that. There's some cameos from Cool Duder, who plays himself. I wish they gave him a real role. I wish he was in it more. I wish like he could be like, you know, not Cool Duder in a movie. That would be cool, because I, I feel like you're just always making him Cool Duder. And I'd like to see him actually be a character, you know. And then I noticed Darcy uh, from uh, Joe Bob Briggs was in there. So there's a couple cameos like that. I think there's other people I just didn't recognize that they're supposed to be somebody, but I was like, I don't know who they are. But there's one problem with this movie. The Ouija's look great. I love how they look. They're practical, and there's like four of them. And, or, yeah, they look good. They look fun. There's like a snake, like Lady Gremlin one. There's like a rock and roll one. There's like a biker one. And then there's like the the werewolf one, who's basically just like a little person inside like a suit, which is super stupid. But, yeah, so I like the little creatures, how they look. It's 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 a movie that, like, teases you with nudity. Like, there's, like, girls in push-up bras, and it's just, like, really kind of, like... The old Full Moon movies always felt like kids' movies with nudity and gore, so I always was like, I like them, because I'm, like, 12, 13 watching them. I'm like, I love the nudity and the sex and the gore, and they're little kid, but they're, like, kid-friendly. They feel like it, but they're not, because they have all that stuff in there. This doesn't have any blood, and it doesn't have any nudity. And people are saying, well... You know, all movies don't need it, but Ouija's uh, Halloween night, it fucking needed it. I'll tell you that. Um, So, and also it's this weird world where, like, I don't care how goofy the characters are. If somebody gets killed by a little creature, you don't just be like, oh, man, that little guy's nuts, and then just stand there and get killed. 
at least show fear or at least show confusion. But this guy watches his friend die and then it's just like, I'm leaving and walks over there to the other part of the party. It's just like, what the f- well, come on. There's really goofy, over-the-top characters. Um, after a while, the jokes don't land. It's like an hour, 20 minutes, but I was like, okay, let's wrap this up. It's, nothing really happens. It also takes like 35 minutes for the Ouija's to get to the, to get there. 35 minutes in like an like a, an 80 minute movie, and it's just like, dude, I'm watching this for little creatures and stupid, stupid stuff. Like, I mean, Doll Factory was a goofy, fun movie and bloody and stuff like that, and I just it just doesn't deliver. It also just feels like so by the numbers to me, and I don't want to say that the filmmakers thought that, but it really does feel like that. So by the numbers, it doesn't feel like it has any love in there and it's just bored the hell out of me and a very disappointing movie and uh people are thinking it's the ouija's what the fuck did you expect it's like i wanted some you know goofy kind of old school um full moon stuff like i would have been happy with even hideous or demonic toys which i think is great you know i love that kind of stuff i'm not a picky person guys <laughs> ghoulies two and three are some of my all-time favorite movies i just want half of that even a quarter of that and i'd be ha- satisfied i'd be happy with beasties level okay <laughs> is that all right? all right so uh ouija's the halloween night uh not for me can you guys believe we got this entire hotel for the whole night this is going to be the greatest halloween party in the history of halloween parties the party was supposed to start by now you have to believe in miracles that's your miracle Okay, I know you're supposed to be dead, but you're way too dead. I would love to play. I have another game in mind. Behold, the witchy ball. <laughs> Insatiable they are. Blood be their munchies. Meet the weed cheese, man. They be true party animals. Okay, the next one I checked out was Zombieland uh, 2, Double Tap. And, you know, it's been so long since I watched the first one. So I was thinking, am I going to dig this or whatever? You know, it's really late for a sequel to come out. Um, Same director, same actors and everything like that. I'm a sucker for zombie movies, so I was like, I better check this one out. Woody Harrelson comes back, of course, Jesse Eisner. And you're thinking, I can't believe they got all these people to come back for this movie. Because I remember really digging the first one, but it felt like such a product of its time. All the humor, all the jokes, you know, zombies 
movies where that it was that kind of fun, kind of goofy thing. So Zombie Land Two, um, I'm gonna come out. I'm I'm I kind of right. I like it a little bit. Like I don't love it. I'm a little above average for it because some of the things they do are really big and really fun. And when they do have practical in there, it looks good. There's a lot of CGI. Some of that looks okay. Some of it's ah. But you know that's just how it is. Um. Basically, what happens is this is very more very drama oriented instead of the other, you know, kind of like, you know, it just feels like they added infused more drama to carry the plot along. Uh, I can't think of her name. Um, she's Wichita wants to leave because she's hitting that puberty age. You know, she wants to go out on her own. And Jesse Eisner is like uh, pushing his girl, Emma Stone. So uh, they both leave Woody Harrelson, Tallahassee and um, Columbus alone. So they're basically left to fend for themselves a little bit, but they kind of want to go after them. They saw Jesse Eisner starts a new relationship with this really ditzy, goofy girl, yada, yada, yada. The whole thing uh, ends up, they, they travel around the world. They end up at like this, El, uh, <laughs> this Elvis weird museum and stuff like that, where they meet Rosario Dawson, Nevada. And there's some other colorful characters in here. Uh, there's some okay jokes. A lot of the jokes don't land for me. It's just not my type of humor. A lot of jokes seem very dated and they make fun of the idea that a lot of these jokes are dated. Like Woody Harrelson's character belongs from his time and they make jokes about it. But um, it also just, doesn't work for me i'm I, I like i'm not even trying to be a hater there's a couple moments that i thought were cute and fun especially the end credit stuff um after the credits i was like oh this is what i wanted to see more of this kind of stupid stuff and um it's very funny i don't want to spoil too much but that actor in those end credits gets to do just to do something like this in another movie this year which i thought was kind of fun but um yeah so I, I think Woody Harrelson, he's all right. His line delivery is good. He makes me laugh a couple times. And there's some big action set pieces with like a monster truck that I was like, that's pretty cool. And uh, I just wish that they didn't pull punches at the end. Like I wish like some of the like side characters that no one really cares about. I wish they got munched on. I wish more people got killed, to be honest. You can leave the main people, but I just wish more people were getting killed in the movie. It's just like the, at the end, it's like this should have been right here. There should have been a slaughter. And... um I really thought that I was going to in for a slaughter and it was going to be really fun, but there's new zombies. So there's a new threat and there's some cool moments, like I said, um, but all in all, it's just a little better than average for me. Uh, I remember liking the first one a little bit more, but maybe if I revisited that, it would be stuck at very dated too. I don't know. Um, but you know, I just feel like a lot of zombie movies that aren't Romero's date themselves fairly poorly. If that makes any sense, like uh, especially comedic ones. So yeah. It's time to nut up or shut up. <laughs> Sorry, just you in that chair. I think I would have made a damn fine president. You would have brought a real dignity to the office. You're welcome, America. Hammer time! For all who are willing to pay the price, we invite you to go through the mirror of life!
Hey guys, what's up? It is hammer time. That's the worst hammer sound of all time. Okay, this one we're reviewing for you is uh, week. This is week thirty-four. We're reviewing Scars of Dracula. This is the sixth in the Hammer Dracula series, uh, directed by Roy Ward Baker, who did some non-Hammer stuff like Vault of Horror, um, Asylum, some Amicus stuff, like I said, and he did a couple other Hammer movies, and most notably the Quatermass of the Pit, which I think is fantastic, and you do too. Mm-hmm. So uh, Scars of Dracula. All right. This has the funniest resurrection of Dracula of all time, and then the funniest, second funniest demise of Dracula of all time. This is the stupidest way I've ever seen Dracula revived ever. Like I said, I do really like these middle Draculas. Um, the last one, Taste the Blood of Dracula, is probably my favorite. So this one um, is okay. I enjoyed it. The plot here is um, a bat that Dracula has control over, we find out later. And that makes sense. You know, Dracula always kind of had control over animals, wolves, bats. That's why he could turn into them. Whatever. Beetles. Um, so, uh, a bat <laughs> drips blood on a Dracula's um, big piled body of uh, um, sand blood. And Dracula comes back. Immediately starts to suck blood again. I think so. Yeah. The best part about this one is the opening. It's yeah. a wonderful, terrifying opening. After the towns, people find out Dracula's back. Michael Roper, Ripper, of course, leads a group of these people to, you know, torch the castle and put an end to the Curse of Dracula forever because they're sick of him coming back every two months for something stupid. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, uh, while they're doing that, this is a spoiler, Dracula, while they're burning the castle, Dracula had sent an army of bats to slaughter all their wives and children in the church. So essentially this whole town is destroyed, and so everybody's complete and utter asshole. That's how you find out why everybody in these towns is superstitious and jerks and doesn't want to talk about Dracula. Hmm. So what happens is, uh, um, what, what century does this take place in? 19th. All right, 19th yeah. century fuckboy. Yeah. Uh, manages to run, in trouble with the law, runs to Dracula's castle, gets attacked, and his brother and his soon-to-be wife come looking for him. That's pretty much the plot of this movie. Yeah. Um, hmm, what to say about this one? One, oh, um, Michael Ripper's in on it. He's not in on it. Jeremy He's has been a theory. In every single Dracula movie. He's not been in every single Dracula Every theory. single Dracula He's been movie. in Bride, um, and... Dracula has risen. I don't know how many he's has. He's been in enough, and well, he's and he's always like you know holding some in nearby Dracula's castle. Like you, you know this guy. He, he's ran it. that in a million times. I think he does it in Plague of the Zombies too. Yeah, but that already has the worst like ever. But no, he's totally. He's in a on different it. character every time. But regardless, about he never what? tells anyone about the Dracula. Go on. He never tells anyone about the Dracula because that's a trope in these movies. They don't want to bring up the curse because they don't want to believe in it because if they bring it up, they're terrified of it. And they think that it will come for them. And they also don't want to bring attention to it. They don't do it in Plague of the Zombies. They don't do it in The Reptile. They just refuse to accept it exists. Similar to City of Living Dead by Fulci when they just want, don't want to know that the whore's there. They'd rather turn a naked eye to murder and death until they are, in fact, murdered and killed themselves. It's like Voldemort from uh, Harry Potter. Wouldn't know that reference because I oh. never read Harry Potter. <laughs> but uh, regardless, Michael Ripper's great in this. Like he said, he's an asshole. He's a, he's a dick. But he he has this girl that works for him that keeps telling everybody about the castle. <laughs> it's like she does not realize she's murdering a bunch of people. She's like, oh, they went to the castle they did. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, let's go. And then they're bleh. 
So it's like, I legit thought that she was actually working for Dracula. I was like like ninety percent convinced. Like she's in on it. She's a vampire. What well, What's interesting about this one is they use um. If you guys have ever read the Dracula book, in fact, all these Dracula movies from Hammer never follow the book, but they take parts of it. And this one takes like the whole opening with Jonathan Harker where he gets trapped in the castle and he sees Dracula climb up the wall. So we have that scene in here finally in a Hammer Dracula, and that's nicely done. Lee's really good in it. Lee's fantastic. In this one, he's, he does one of his better performances. Um, but he also has a helper who becomes obsessed with the uh, fiance, and she's in a locket um, that he sees previously, so he becomes infatuated with her, and he actually defies Dracula. Um, the guy who plays Clove is in Quatermass in a Pit. He's the guy who goes runs amok through the city, and he's also in um, Frankenstein-created woman when he sees the guillotine. What's that? Yeah, so uh, he pops up in here. He's and, in the... Uh-oh. I was looking it up, and this guy was in 222 movies and television programs, while Michael Ripper was in 235. So that's just how hard it is to keep track of all the Hammer movies these guys were in, in and stuff like that. Now, we did say that this is Ripper's last Hammer movie. Yeah, and we've watched... This is the 18th Michael Ripper Hammer movie we watched. He's in a couple more, like, sci-fi and pirate ones that we didn't mm-hmm. watch, but this... We watched pretty much all his horror movies, all his Hammer horror movies. He's been in 18... I'm going to be upset to not see him anymore because he's he's been one of my favorites. Me too. In, in me this too. It's going to be sad. Endeavor, yeah. We still got Thorley Walters coming up a couple more times. I think. Which one's Thorley Walters? He's like the he played Renfield type. Character. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's very. He's in good. the Mummy, I think. Or is Ripper in the Mummy? Ripper's in the Mummy. Ripper's in the Mummy. Yeah. But after this week, we have Horror Frankenstein, which mm-hmm. is actually a remake of. Um, the Curse of Frankenstein, the first Hammer one, which is really weird because the series continues after they have one more movie in the series, which weird to remake. But uh, this one does have some downtime. Like the beginning is excellent, um, and then it starts to get really boring, and the end's okay. Like I literally was like, "There's scenes that go on way too long," and you look and you're like, "Oh, it's got to have like this had to be passing by like, 20, 30 minutes, and only ten minutes went by." I I think that um, and this is true if I think a lot of the. Dracula movies is they're always going to and from the castle so many times it gets repetitive it gets repetitive because they had to put these characters in different situations and so every time it's like a travel scene it's like a loading screen it's like we're just trying to get them to the other place and really any movie it goes to the end to the castle yeah, yeah and any movie that does this always gets on my nerves I know you've never seen Frozen but it's the same thing in Frozen where we're going up and down the mountain like 15 times what it's about like, Lord of the Rings no, Lord of the Rings, we're going in a straight line. To the mountain. To a, to a different mountain. <laughs> but we're not going from the same mountain back and forth over it. But, like, well, I know what you one. mean. But yeah, it's just... There is some beautiful imagery at the end, though. Oh, yeah, there's some beautiful scenes. Like, at the end when he's walking up, like, you pointed that out. That looks yeah. really good. And there's, like, fog. Very gothic style. Yeah, there's... Um... Set design's great. And the movie looks fantastic. Screen Factory remastered this blue, and they did a really good job on this one. Yeah, the, the scene I really liked, um, yeah, is at the end when Dracula's confronting the fiancé. It's, like, all the fog coming in. They thought the fiance is like like really quick trying to get away from being Jack is just very slowly walking on the rooftop. He's um, got his signature bloodshot eyes. Yeah. And one funny thing I realized about this is um they burned out Dracula's castle in the beginning and he's like he's like her butt hurt about it the whole time. Like he's like Yes, whatever survived the mil- the bur- the fire mm-hmm. and he's like super upset about it. Like he's like Yes, they burned down the castle. Like he's like melancholy almost. This is like sad Dracula. And like I think Chris really did, did a fantastic job in this one, more yeah. than the other ones. He gets more acting in it. Yeah. Um, I 
I never know where Dracula's castle is because it seems to change locations a lot. Somewhere in the woods where you're not supposed to go. Yeah, like he must have like three or four castles that he... Kind of super far and close, but... Yeah. Down the road, about 20 to 10, uh, 10 to 5,000 miles away. I don't know. Yeah, Michael Ripper needs to just stick in one place and not move to a different bar once Dracula's His ancestors killed. have been running into Dracula forever. Exactly. And the mummies and, and the Frankenstein monsters and shit. You know, in uh, Pokemon, they have, like, Nurse Joy and, like, Officer Jenny. It's, like, the same character, but they're always in a different town. But it's the same name, same occupation, same look. That's what Michael Ripper is in this. That's weird. Michael Ripper is the Nurse Joy of Pokemon. Of He's the Nurse Joy of Pokemon. <laughs> I think that's a little different than that. Okay, I'm going to come in, um, honestly, because they had some slow parts. I want to give it... There is some nudity in here, which is surprising. Yeah, but um, A little bit. Scenes. And then there is some blood on tits. Which surprised me. I was like, oh, I bet the censors went nuts because she has got like her bosom sticking out. Oh, I bet John Stanley talks about that in there. He's like, oh, the books. <laughs> I guarantee he talks about it. But like her breasts are like out and there's like a vampire bat rips off her crucifix and there's blood mm. all over him. I know the censor probably was like, Bruh. but uh, there's that really <laughs> cheesy effect when it goes through his eyes. And he's like, and you see the red through his eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some nudity in this one. This one's a little sleazy and gory. It's Definitely the violence and sleazy starting to pick up a little bit. The, the nudity, I think, is only in, like, really the beginning scene. Um, I read his review already that he's going to read, um, okay. and I disagree with this guy. Okay. Yeah, but James O'Neill. This is from Teron Cape, and this is two and a half out of four, which mm-hmm. isn't terrible. One of the weakest Hammer Dracula conversely features more lead than ever before. Revived by bl- Bat's blood, the Count stabs and bites his supporting cast until hit by a bolt of lightning. Cardboard sets and chintzy bat-on-a-string special effects sing much of this, though Hanley and Waterman are one of Hammer's most likable young romantic couples, and there's more sex and blood than any other Hammer Drac pick, originally released with the horror Frankenstein. The bats are very chintzy, but they're very funny. The bats are very chintzy. I don't. I didn't see a whole lot of cardboard in the scenes. I mean, oh yeah, we did the castle. When he's climbing up the castle, you could see it hitting the and it's moving. The, yeah, that. But like, I think that's for the most part, it's Everything's in certain rooms. Or like, you want them to build a real castle for ten dollars? That's forgivable. Kind of, I mean, but two and a half out of four is not bad. No, no. Two and a half out of four. James I mean, O'Neill's usually likes that kind of stuff. Right. So John Stanley, creature feature, show the book. Oh, yeah. This is the book. He's going to be very wordy here. Get it on eBay. No, it's a really short one. Is it? Yeah. Out of five, right? Is he out of five? Yeah. Okay, so three out of five. 1970 popular Hammer production in the Christopher Lee Dracula series written by John Elder, alias for producer Anthony Hines, directed by Roy Ward Baker, scored by James Bernard. Lee resurrected when his ashes are covered with bat's blood, begins his reign of terror, and fights off a revenge seeker. Blood and sadism, lots, have been added to the formula. And then the cast, which I will not read, except for uh, Michael Ripper. <laughs> so three out of five, that's where I'm about at. I'm a little higher than that, maybe like six and a half out of uh, ten. Out of five? Four out of five. I liked it. If if you... It's not as good as Taste of Blood. Which one was Taste of Blood? The last Dracula. The one with the cult that drinks, that wants to drink the blood and they're chicken out. That one's good. I like the, the father figure in that one. Yeah. Um, which was the one that had the priest that we really liked? That was that a Dracula? I think there was, but it wasn't. I think it was Dracula, Prince of Darkness had a great priest, but the movie wasn't great. Right. For us, I know it's one of the more popular ones. Right. I don't. Um, I'd probably give this one three and a half to four. It depends. Like I said, there's a lot of downtime, a lot of going back and forth to the castle, and um, what happened to the end girl? I don't remember her biting it. Literally. 
Oh, the one that came from the shop? Yeah, because I remember, like, she sees Dracula, but I just don't he remember. Does he bet? They must have done, like, an off screen. But I don't remember thing. what happens to her after that. I yeah. can't remember. That happens a lot in these because these movies end so abruptly. Mm-hmm. But next week is Horror Frankenstein, and uh, I'm good on this. You? I'm done. Hunt him. Attack him. This evil must be destroyed. Burn down his citadel of evil. You fools! You think you can destroy my master? The flames will never reach him! He is evil. He is the embodiment of all that is evil. He is the very devil himself. Dracula's reign of horror reaches out even further. Stop! A winged creature of terror becomes Dracula's most fearsome new ally. Enter Dracula's stronghold at your peril. There is one way into his innermost sanctum. Hey! Help me! Help me! You will tell me everything! Tell me! Oh, oh, he was here! It's true, he was here! Got away! You must get away too. Now. One way in, and no way out. There is no escape from the all-embracing evil of the humans who do his bidding. From the creature that extends his power, there is no escape, not even for the protected, from the scars of Dracula. Take her with you. You'll do terrible things to her if you don't. Terrible things. Let's hop into the questions. Dan, the cameraman, I actually forgot your first questions for a while ago, but we got great video, Dave. A couple questions for you. Did you build your own movie shelves or did you buy them? These uh, black ones that you see, I don't, you can't see them now, but if you've seen the movie room tour, I bought those. They're not very sturdy, so after you build them, don't move them. Pin them to the wall and leave them. I have them together in the room, and I still don't trust them. These were built. These were just, you know, wood, and basically what we did um, was we put brackets, drilled, found the studs, drilled them into there, put the prongs in there, and then cut the wood and put it right in there. It's not perfect. It's my first time doing that, but I built these. Um, what are five of the best horror films from 2010 to 2019? I don't know if I want to do that because I really feel that maybe I'll do a show in the future about that. And also, it's been so long and I don't re-watch movies as much as I'd like to. But there's so many movies that I watch that it's just hard to pinpoint five. I don't think I can do it. Really, I can't. It would take me hours. Who'd win in a fight, Eastwood or Bronson? Ooh, I think Bronson, off camera, let's say they're both 40. I think Bronson works them over. In a fist fight. In a gunfight? Eastwood's going to win that. Eastwood always wins the gunfights. 
Um, how long do you personally feel before you can call a film an instant classic or a masterpiece? After seeing The Irishman and Joker this year, both films are two I want to call masterpieces, but having just seen them in the past few months, I want to give both a few years before I'd call them so. That is a tough one. Um, I know that very rarely do I watch a movie the first time, even if I love it, give it five stars. The only one I did this year was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, but if I watch an old movie that I absolutely adore, I don't have a problem giving it five stars. Like if I pop in Cool Hand Luke for the first time, I'm like, oh, that's fucking five stars because I held up now. I can imagine that it will hold up for another 50 years. But some of that stuff, it's hard with newer movies. Like you don't know how it's going to date. Like, um, I love the Dawn of the Dead remake when I saw it. And I've heard other people use this comparison too. I think 22 Shots guys did it and they were like, it doesn't hold up as well. And every time I watched it afterwards, I was like, it doesn't really hold up as well as it used to. It's still a good movie, but like Dawn of the Dead original, I'm like any day, any time, anywhere, that movie's great. Um, so it's a really tough call. I mean, sometimes, uh, very rarely, very, very rarely. I think you can. Are you planning on keeping Jeremy in your weekly reviews in 2020? The camaraderie between you two makes for some of the best moments on the episode. Oh, uh, I want to, I don't know if he's going to want to do after the hammer. I think hammer will end in May. So you got some time or April. I don't remember when we started it. April, maybe. So, I mean, you got some time in 2020 with Jeremy, but I don't know if he's going to go on me with my next yearly venture. And I'm not sure 100% what it's going to be yet. I was thinking it was the Vinegar Syndrome, but I might have something I'm brewing where I don't, I won't be doing that. Um, Nick Mua, would you watch a movie by your favorite director or starring your favorite performer, even if you knew in advance? No, in advance, it's a social justice vehicle. Yeah, and I would watch a social justice vehicle if it looked like it was done. And if a movie, it's all it has to offer is that, and it's just like so forced, like you got to hide that better. I mean, it can be there in your face but I just need something else. It's got to, it can't be done sloppily or poorly. And when it's done sloppily or poorly, it becomes an embarrassment for everybody involved. But if it's done like decently, even if it is that, I'm like, you know, whatever. Um, I probably, if it was my favorite director, favorite performer, I'd watch it. You know, some of those people I just watch do anything. So which kind of social justice themed movie just makes you cringe? Do you think these kind of films are being made with pure intentions or are filmmakers just aiming to please? Um, the Oscar bait ones make me uh, cringe. Like if they put a social message in there and they come out at the end of the year and it's like, yeah, like um, that movie, I didn't even know it was good. It was the newspaper one. I can't think of its name. I, I'm sure it was a great movie, but right when I saw that and coming out at the end of the year, I was like, oh, that movie's so Oscar bait. So trying to put that social message to get that Oscar nod. And uh, that made me cringe. Like I was just like, oh no, um, those kinds. So um, if they're Oscar bait, social justice movies kind of make me cringe. Is there an important social message you'd like to convey in a future project? Would you go to subtle route or hit the audience over the head with it? Um, my all my points would probably come subconsciously, and I, I believe they come better. You know, like I, I even though Romero is my favorite, I think he hit the nail over the head with some of them. But a lot of my favorite things about his movies came subconsciously or matter of factly. So I would probably try to go that approach. All right. Not that I could ever compare to someone like that, but still. And then we have answers. I uh, basically asked you guys, if a movie is only available in HD streaming, do you buy the DVD over the HD streaming? So answers. Jonathan Wilhelm, awesome show. Solid reviews. Dig the Ghoulies t-shirt. To answer the question of the week, I will always pick up the DVD. I do very little streaming. I'm behind on the times. I know, but there is something about having the physical disc in my hands and putting it in the player that harkens back to the VHS days. Um, tipsy land at land tipsy from Twitter. It's a movie I really like. I'll buy digital HD, but I will also buy the DVD because you are only running digital movies. I upscale my DVD with power DVD on my laptop. 
Dan the Cameraman. And for the answer, I'll 100% always take a DVD over a streaming copy in HD. In my opinion, no one owns anything they stream. In five years, something could happen legally or something could change where the film is taken off the streaming platform or, God forbid, it gets edited. The, thir- the show 13 Reasons Why recently edited a controversial scene in the last episode. When I own a DVD, it will always be there and it will always be mine. No studio executive or lawyer can come into my house and take my copy away or re-edit it when it suits their liking. Good point. But I'm going to tell you this now. If I buy something in digital HD and I pay for it and then all of a sudden they say we're getting rid of that i'm gonna download it illegally and keep it i don't give a shit i I don't do that but and if i've ever downloaded stuff i make an obligation to myself like if it's unavailable when it is available i buy it that's how i am or like a bootleg you buy like now i made an obligation to buy the real disc when it comes out so like if i bought something digitally for like 10 15 20 dollars and then boom it disappeared i'm getting it i don't care i'm sorry i know it might be shitty or the wrong thing to do but uh, then we have Nick Mua streaming or DVD that all depends on the movie itself of course if it is something I really want to see I'll go with streaming but if the DVD of said film is of a decent enough quality and comes jam packed with extra goodies I will choose DVD every time whoa onto my sh- DVD shelves but what can you do uh, Adrian Belez, uh DVD Steve Friedel, not sure if I get the question. Why can't I just get it on Blu-ray? If it's not on Blu-ray is the question. Um, Lev Nemkin, I'd buy it on DVD or Blu-ray most definitely. If it's not on Blu-ray, guys. Uh, Chris Neal, DVD, I have a hard time trusting digital only. I will rent digital, but not buy unless it's on deep sale. Derek Bourgeois, uh, DVD unless it's a film I go into blindly. I'll rent it first to check it out. Matthew Sweetman, DVD or find a rip of the HD and make a custom. Michael Anderson, I would, uh, or is it Mikael? I would go with DVD. I personally buy physical. The only digital movies I own are the ones that I got from movies that I have bought that came with codes. Sean Leonard, DVD for sure, 10 times out of 10. Keith Christian, if I get it, if I can't get it on Blu ray, I wait. Personally, or if I haven't seen it yet or it's a new release, I'll just rent it. Jason Reinhardt, I prefer a physical copy. It would be a little different if I could save it to the hard drive, but you can't. I don't like the digital because you depend on someone else to have access to it. John Collins, DVD. Sean Donahue, DVD. Michael Fisher, DVD if it's horror. If it's not, I may just watch it on uh, Hulu or something. And then uh, Sam Edwards Edwards starts busting his balls. Yeah, but you're a DVD is better than Blue Pube. And they argue about it. Uh, No, he he just likes them more, so that's funny to me. Uh, Mikey... uh, Manshot DVD streaming services have the right to remove content without notice, and you can't do anything about it, even if you bought it. Uh, then Justin Chanel re- chimes in on that. This is why I'd only consider a service that allows for DRM pre downloads of movies when you buy a digital copy. And I don't know anywhere that does that, so only if so, I only buy if it costs as much as a rental. I think Troma now does it because I paid for um, Return to Nukem High 2 and I got the downloaded as well. Anthony Carcisa, prefer physical, but buy on digital sometimes. Aaron Fram, most movies from that era that matters to me are available on DVD slash blue from some boutique label or another. Uh, not really a big fan of newer stuff. I always prefer physical over streaming. It's part of the hobby. Being able to look at your collection on the shelves is important to me. However, streaming some flick you would never want to purchase or own is fine too for entertainment. Dan Catroba, uh, DVD. Susie Ayla. Uh, physical media all the way, baby. Tony, uh, Mr. Tony the Dead, DVD, always physical for me. I don't even like getting online screeners. Well, online screeners look like shit a lot of times. They're not like, and they're just like, you can't watch them on your TV. I don't like watching stuff on my computer at all. Ned Christensen, DVD. Thomas Steele, DVD for sure. Keith Voigt Jr., DVD for bonus features, HG streaming for quality. That's what I like to see. Uh, that's what, that's where I'm at with, uh, Timothy uh, Matthew Hayes, DVD, streaming, you don't actually own it. A streaming copy can go away for legal reasons or if the streaming service, if the service is discontinued. Once I buy a physical di- media disc, I got it for life. 
Uh, Rahish Brown, the real heads are always going to say physical is best, but in the day and age, streaming is so much more convenient. The only problem is what I really want to watch can't be streamed. That's a big problem for me because I have so much weird shit. Uh, you can't stream it. But newer films, it works for well. Or movies that aren't on D uh, Blu-ray. Eric James, DVD. Dustin Mills, streaming. DVDs look like dog shit to me. A DVD is my last resort if I really want to see something. So, yeah, I DVD sucks. Uh, Daniel Richardson, unless it's an SOV. If it's an SOV, go DVD all day. All day SOV. But if it is not an SOV, fuck DVD. Uh, Dustin Mills streaming. I, and I know like, it's best to have the DVD just in case they pull it off the streaming service. So, uh, Daniel Richardson, DVD. Jeremiah Ball, Blu-ray and DVD only. Anthony Padilla, prefer hard media. Gabe Rios, DVD by far. BDG Reviews, DVD until I can find a blue from another region. Also a good answer. Kevin Keegan, Betamax. Dave Chopin, DVD Naturally. Hans Vaughn, DVD. Jenny Murray, DVD. I like physical media. Chris Leppard, without a DV without a doubt, DVD. I would love to do Blu-ray, but DVD is for me. Physical media is still the best. Uh, Thomas Filio, DVD or Blu-ray. I'll just buy, I will just, uh, a stream of something. I'll just buy a stream of something. Dave Luton, DVD, physical media all the way. Pete Garrard, physical media. Phil Stevens, streaming if you have a massive collection so everyone can be found all in one moment and it's playing in 30 seconds. DVDs and physical media, I feel, is more for nostalgia and some feeling you literally got what you paid for. I had too many binders and shelves and honestly, it made me feel gluttonous to have all the plastic around me. Just mountains of plastic. What you say about mountains of plastic? <laughs> uh, Mark Humphreys DVD no question if it's a film I want in my collection I will get it that way and still do occasionally I don't consider something that's streamed as being part of a collection Jamal Porter HD streaming over DVD but not Blu-ray me too uh, Matthew Hudson um, here we go final stretch I like DVDs but I also don't own a high definition TV DVDs look terrible on high def DVDs but they look fine on old school DVDs what can I say I'm old fashioned James D. Cokes, uh, always physical, so DVD. Sean McCulley, haven't used a DVD ever since I got my NAS for Plex. DVD collectors are children sometimes. Ooh, I don't, uh, I've heard about that um, thing, that NAS for Plex. Um, I, I'm curious about looking into that. Um, I don't know how to say uh, Chinese names. Um, so this has a Zing Hong, DVD and Blu-ray, sometimes stream. Peter England, DVD for sure. Still love collecting DVDs. David E. McMahon, um, DVD all the way. Physical media forever, baby. Uh, George H. Smith, UHD, Blu-ray. Yeah, but that's not an option. I said only DVD. Uh, Joseph L. Uh, Zyberginian DVD. I would just I would rent streaming, but never buy. The fact that I don't actually own it and I could be taken away at any time keeps me from wasting my money. Uh, Morton Rolston physical media, even if it means I have to have it in a mediocre quality. Streaming is a last resort and should always be secondary. Jason Lindbergh always DVD all day long. Michael Stefan uh, Stolas. I never knew how to say your name. You know that your last name, and I've known you for a while. So uh, how do you say that? That's uh, uh, Stolaska. Depends on the film. I still collect physical media for sure, but I mostly stream movies on places like Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu. James Higgins, always physical. Jade LaFont, I love physical media. If I own something digital, I do not feel like I truly own it until I have a physical copy of it. DVD for me. Corey Zunk, I'm indifferent. I love holding the box and staring at the box art, but with the streaming services we own, I watch on streaming HD quality. Mike Mitchell, always buy physical. Skip Barber, DVDs, that way you own things you love. Streaming services can come and go. Amy Fox Goodwin. It depends. If I am not sure if I will want to watch something multiple times, I will rent it on the streaming service. If it is something I want to watch over and over, I will buy it. The only time I buy DVD over Blu-ray or 4K is if it's something only available in that format. I have bought DVD on auto. Um, I have bought DVD on auto print titles also that I just 
uh, did not want to dish out uh, what the Blu-ray is going for. I prefer physical media for the most part because I watch titles not available on streaming. Uh, Michelle Kisner, I'm region-free, so I usually have stuff that's DVD only here. I just import on Blue from other countries. I do the same a lot of times. Um, and Peter McCain, that's tough. If it's a digital remaster and the difference is notable, I'd go with the digital. Else I'd go for the physical copy because I'm a hoarder. Okay, so the next question of the week is, since we talked about, you know, Video Man and Antrim, I'd like to know your favorite movies about making movies or favorite movies about movies. Um, it can be, what's that one that from the director of Vanishing uh, Waves? She did another one where um, it's about filmmaking and stuff, and she can only feel through watching herself in a movie, which is crazy. But, you know, stuff like Antrim is a movie about finding a long-lost movie, or Video Man is a movie about VHS collecting. So movies about movies. I, I might have asked that before, but let's do it again. And then I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, here we go. We got some cheap uh, X rentals. This was like 250 Morgan. Not seen it. I think I have it on digital, so why not? Heard it was decent. Like I said, have not watched it. Why not, right? For $2.50, I'll check it out. We got another one I got uh, for 5 bucks. Corporate Animals. I don't think I'll get to it for the end of the year show, but wanted to check it out possibly. Um, it looks all right. I don't know. Anybody know about this one? Let me know. Looks like a horror comedy. Got a pretty good price on it. Another one I got a good price on used, uh, Mermaid of Lake of the Dead. Uh, looks cool. I know it's a Shout Factory, Scream Factory. Got a reversible cover there. That one looks pretty cool. Yeah, so anybody seen that one, let me know how it is. Then we got this bad boy. I finally bought it. I've only seen the first Wreck movie and really like it. So the Wreck collection from Scream Factory. This is a really good price for this. It's only like $10 a movie. And uh, I really wanted to revisit the first one. I remember thinking it was really good. And I want to revisit or watch the second, third, and fourth. So, yeah. I like, like, zombie kind of infection films. I'm a sucker for them. So, yeah. This one, again, um, grab this at Hamilton Books. Good price. Willard. Um, this is the remake. I've never seen the remake. Um, I like the original quite a bit, so um, I was totally into watching the remake with uh, Lee Ermey and uh, Crimson Glover. That's great casting, by the way. The original had, what, Bruce Davidson and Ernest Borgnine, so. And then this one, I'll Take Your Dead. This is another 2019 movie I don't think I'll get a chance to watch, but I got a good price on it. Yeah, so let me know if this one's any good, too. I'll still watch them, but yeah, good. Hamilton Books price was like 10 bucks, so why not? And then we got uh, another one from Hamilton Books. This was on sale for like $14. Wanted to see this for a long time. I know that Jerry Herring went to, he, he was on a, I don't know the guy very well, but uh, yeah, he was on the uh, 90s uh, podcast from last, uh, Podcast Under the Stairs, and he was swearing by this movie. And I had heard about it before that for years, uh, positive things, but um, yeah, anime, supposed to be really good stuff, perfect blue. Then we got some cheap DVD rentals. We got the Headhunter, which I thought was really good, but for two fifty on DVD, I grabbed it. Why not? And then we have some other DVDs. Possum, again, was two fifty. Looks good. Heard good things about it. I know it's streaming, but for that, ooh, that looks terrifying. But for that price, why not? Right. And then last, we got. Um, High on the Hog was at a family video. I know that um, Ellie Church is in this. And, of course, Sid Haig. So why not for the price? Couldn't pass it up. <laughs> it looks like Joe Estevez as well and Robert Desar. So there we go. I guess we're going to hop back to the video. All right. Thank you guys very much for watching. As always, you guys have a good one. Yeah.